You obviously know Kung Fu. Hi, I'm Don the Dragon Wilson, star of the Blood Fist series and the Martial Arts Kid. You're listening to Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember, your Kung Fu may be good, but mine is better. My special guest today is Kung Fu kickboxing legend, Don the Dragon Wilson. Don, thank you so much for taking some time out to sit with the Kung Fu Drive-In podcast today. Thanks for inviting me to speak to your listeners, Jeff. Don, believe me, the pleasure is all mine. You were part of an influential time for those of us who grew up in the 80s. Jake Ray was one of the icons of our youth, and the whole Blood Fist series was a lot of fun to watch. Can you give my audience some background not only on how you got started in martial arts, but who you are and where you grew up and so on? I grew up in, I was born in Illinois, but I don't have memories from that area because I left when I was four years old and we came to Florida, Cocoa Beach, Florida. My father worked at the Kennedy Space Center. At the time, it was called Cape Canaveral, but um, that's what the reason was for the move. And uh, at that time, uh, you know, I was basically the only Asian person probably in Central Florida. (laughs) And Uh my father looked uh, kind of more white than I do, but I was definitely an Asian. So I grew up in... uh, uh, Florida at a time when they had segregation and uh, uh, blacks had their own school, whites had their own, and, and I kind of um, gravitated towards sports because I found out that if you sink a 30-foot jump shot, black people like you and the white people like you. I wanted to be liked. I wanted to be accepted by people that you know didn't look like me. And, um, so that's what my, my beginnings of sports were to get accepted. But later, my brother introduced me to Pylon um, Kung Fu, and um, I was 18 years old at the Coast Guard Academy, and he wanted to spar me. And uh, it, you know, we had boxing gloves, and, and I said, yeah, you can go ahead and kick and punch. I'm just going to punch. And uh, basically, he kicked my rear end. And I said, well, I'm going to learn martial arts. So I started actually not in Pailama. I, I went to the Coast Guard Academy at the time, and I started into Goju, uh, Japanese karate, under Chuck Merriman. I was like, and then uh, when I left the Coast Guard Academy, of course, I came to Florida and took lessons from my brother. And then uh, that's the only classical, traditional style I studied, really, was uh, Pai Lam Kung Fu. And started kickboxing in 74. I uh, had my last fight in 2002. And uh, yeah, I had a 28-year career as a professional kickboxer, which is, to the guys I talked to, the, the other former champions, they think I lasted longer than anybody. And there was no <laughs> fighting in... 1974 that continued to fight till 2002. I don't know. You could check. I mean, I, I'm, I'm already in the Guinness Book of World Records, but I might be in for that as well. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of that, you've been acknowledged as perhaps the greatest kickboxer in American history. You have a career record of 72 and 5, 48 knockouts. What was it that you brought to the sport, do you think, that contributed to such an enduring legacy? Uh, you know, a lot of people have asked me that, and, and you know, I, I, so I spent some time thinking about it, and it turns out that. There were plenty of guys with good kicks, good punches. They were in shape. They could take punches and, and give them and, and kicks. And, and I think, though, what really separated me was my defense. You know, we go into the uh, gym, everybody does, and they just, 99% of the time, they're punching and hitting things, kicking things. They forget that if you're in range to kick somebody else or punch them, you're in range to get hit, right? So why should we spend 90% of our time all thinking offense and only 10%, 15 maybe 20 for some fighters thinking defense. I had a different philosophy starting it, and I thought, you know what? 
if I can fight people and not get hit, well, that's kind of self-defense right there. And right. so I thought, well, you know, that's going to be my specialty. I'm going to be great at defense, and then, you know, my offense will not have as much pressure. And uh, that, it turned out to be a great strategy. You know, that's incredible because in looking at a bunch of your fight videos on YouTube, your defense gets a little play, but your kicks and some of your punches are what really shine in the videos because people like to see other people on the wrong end of hits and kicks, I guess. You know, I, you're absolutely right. I do not have the reputation. You know, Marciano knocked out 49 people and everybody thinks of him as a knockout fighter. Or I knocked out 48, everybody thinks of me as a technician. <laughs> right. Because what, what really stood out for people, I think, after they had watched me fight a few fights, was uh, I asked one of my trainers. He worked with me from 88 to 2002. I said, have you ever, in all the sparring, all the fights, ever seen somebody hit me with a combination? And he looked and his eyes kind of widened. He said, no. He said, Net, I said, that's absolutely right. I learned in traditional martial arts point fighting where I made it difficult for somebody to even score a back fist on me. I mean, let right. alone punches hit you in a row. As a matter of fact, I, I'm not the only one. No high-ranking point fighter is going to get hit with three or four punches in a row. <laughs> because mm. when the first touches them, they're gone. They're either too close or too far to hit again. Right. And that comes from the, you know, training with guys like Bill Wallace. I don't remember ever seeing him hit in the head like three or four times in a row. Mm -hmm. But you can watch any boxing match, and, and uh, unless it's a mismatch, you will see give and take, you know, even great fighters getting hit two and three and four times in a row. And you right. don't see with the, the, what I call the, you know, the traditional martial artists who then turned into kickboxers. We come from a different training regime, and we come from point fighting where it's difficult to land the first punch, let alone two or three extra ones after it. You also brought another dimension to it all with the addition of your Kung Fu styling. Can you explain that a little bit? At the time I started, one of the motivating factors for me was when people, when, when, when somebody ever, ever says you can't do something, it's kind of like a challenge for me to get, to get it done. And I was told that Kung Fu fighters couldn't fight. That's what I was told at the beginning <laughs> in 70, 1972 uh, in America. Kung Fu fighters, they said, oh, they're great with forms and kata, but they just can't fight. So I thought, well, why would that be? You know, Bruce Lee's Kung Fu. I mean, well, why would Kung Fu, where martial arts started really with the Chinese and the Kung Fu and then migrated to Korea and Japan and everywhere else, why would they not be able to fight? So I got into full contact to learn how to fight. Even though I was a Kung Fu stylist, I didn't believe that I had the inability to learn how to fight. And right. sure enough, you know, after I won 11 world titles, nobody says that anymore. <laughs> of course not. Do you have a most memorable fight? Um, you know, I've been asked that as well, and then the uh, same one kind of crops up. It's a uh, fight with Brock on Sick and Tickets. It's, it's similar to other fights, but at the time he was being touted as uh, the best light heavyweight in the world, and he was a European champion. He had knocked out a bunch of people. I think he had won like 30-something fights in a row. Uh, they claimed he was undefeated. I, I'm not sure if that was correct. I mean, I don't know. I don't know, but I, I guess he was undefeated, you know, if they, if they claim it, because the guy that um, beat him would be complaining, wouldn't he? So it was a big fight for me. It was also my biggest payday, but I don't want to say, you know, I'm all about the money, but it was, sure. it was a $50,000 fight, which at that time, 1987, was my highest payday. In my, relatively my hometown, it was in Orlando, Florida, Central Florida. So I had a lot of stress on me because of that. You know, I mean, I, I was being um, touted as the underdog, actually. They, they claimed I was the underdog, even though I was the champion defending my title. The contender, well, they considered it. People thought it was like a fake fight because it was so much like Rocky. You know, it was like Rocky fighting Drago or whatever. Yeah, because uh, Rocco is a knockout fighter, and he had the we he 
everything about him was the most dangerous for me. He had the right hand, which is what I'm most susceptible to, or I was when I was a fighter. Mm. And he was smaller than me, which I did not like that. You know, if you're a kicker, you don't like people that are 6'2", 6'3", because sure. they lean back kind of takes effect out of your kicks. You know, it's be better if they're a little bit shorter, you can land that kick in their head. But with Bronco, he was exactly the kind of fighter that I did not like to face. And I ended up knocking him out in the seventh round. So nice. that was, oh, it ended up with a happy ending. <laughs> All right, so you went from the ring to the spotlight when you brought Jake Ray to life in Blood Fist in 1989. How did that even happen? Uh, well, you know, Chuck Norris used to go to my fights since the 70s, and he suggested to me that when I was ready to retire, move out to L.A. and try to, uh, to have uh, a, an entertainment career as a second career, because it worked for him, you know. Chuck, Chuck right. was a fighter, and he became an actor. So in 1985, I moved out to L.A., found out really quick that uh, nobody was looking for a six-foot-tall Asian with a southern accent. <laughs> and I decided, well, you know what, I'll, I'll fight for income until I can support myself as an actor. So then I came out of retirement the first time, and that was in, uh, like, November of 85. And I started fighting and doing, I wouldn't say doing films, but I was not doing any films. I was trying to do a film. And then right. what ended up happening was uh, Van Damme did Blood Sport, which was a big hit. And Roger Corman, who produced Blood Fist, the whole series, he wanted to do something like Blood Sport, and he wanted to do Blood Fist. And he told his casting director to get a real world champion. So they went to, uh, to one of the karate magazines. It could have been Black Belt, I've been Inside Kung Fu. And they got my name. And they didn't have my phone number. And they, you know, in those days, people listened to their phone. My number was in the phone book. And so they said, Don Wilson, Beverly Hills, California, because I lived in Beverly Hills. And I tell people, that everybody says, oh, you lived in Beverly Hills? Yes, I lived in what we call the ghettos of Beverly Hills. <laughs> I had an apartment there. I didn't have a house in Beverly Hills, you know. Right. Food, restaurants. If you live in Beverly Hills, you're living pretty high on the hall. But, and, which I was a champion, so I was, you know, I was able to have an apartment in Beverly Hills. But anyway, I come home one day, and on my answering machine, there was a message, and it said, uh, if you're the Don Wilson, the kickboxing champion, I'd like for you to come in and read for a movie. My name is Roger Corman. So I, didn't, wow. I never heard this guy. I didn't know who he was. And uh, I, they gave me an address, and, and they... Uh, Backed me the sides, and I uh, went in to read. And as soon as the casting director saw me, he apologized for even calling me because he said, We didn't know you were Asian. He said, <laughs> <laughs> The lead of the movie, and the brother's already been cast, and he's Caucasian. You ha uh, this is for a Caucasian role. He said, But I don't want you to waste your time. Maybe you could be a bad guy. Please come in my office and read for me. So I read for the casting director, and he looked at me and he said, I'll be right back. He leaves the room, and he Comes back in, and he goes, uh, Roger Corman wants to meet you. I said, okay. So I go in his office, and Roger says, uh, Don, tell me about yourself. And I told him I was a retired kickboxer who wanted to try to make a transition to acting. So he said, would you please read for me? So the casting director gets the size, and I get up. And I read, and I read well, probably four or five lines. And, and Roger stopped me. Now, normally, now after I've been in the business for 35 years, <laughs> when they stop you in the middle of your audition, it's so you don't hit your, your, your butt with it on the door on your way out. <laughs> right. 99% what it means. It's not a good thing to be stopped in the middle of an audition. And Roger said, Don, I've seen enough. He said, uh, you're going to star in this movie. And he said, you're wow. going to two weeks, you're starting. He says, you're going to do martial art movies. Later in your life, you're going to be an action star. He said, much, much, much later in your life, you'll be a famous successful, dramatic actor, here's the script, you leave in two weeks. So, now, I didn't know this guy, but, 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 but I, I may have been 
the last person to go through the studio system, which was you take somebody you think has talent, you hire him an acting coach, you hire which Roger did, put him in acting school, get him a publicist, and you turn him into a star. That's exactly what Roger did with me. He wow. put me on what they, in the old days, they had weekly salaries. Let me think. I, I, I'm trying to remember. Darn, I think it was 4000 a week is what he was giving me. He, I think that was it, but it felt like all the money in the world. Weekly salary with Roger Corman for the next, I don't know how many years, but 10 years maybe? Wow. He put me on a weekly salary, and I end up doing 12 movies with him. And, um, yeah, he created my career. He, yeah. I went from kickboxing champion, but, you know, through, through the, the acting coach that he got me and the uh, the school acting school that he enrolled me in, the publicist he hired for me, the the movie that he produced with me, which was 12, he created my career. I may have been the last actor to go through what was called the studio system. <laughs> that is fantastic. Now, was that your first film? Is that right? I had actually appeared in a Chinese movie called uh, ABC in Chinatown, New York City, Chinatown. But I was a bad guy. I was a crooked cop. And it was shot in six weeks in New York City. Uh, and it was probably like 1982 I did that. I did that just for fun. Oh, okay. Yeah, so so that wasn't my first time in front of a camera. I mean, I was in front of a camera, but it was a Chinese movie, you know. I mean, right. But so then, this was your first leading man role, right? First leading man role as uh, in an American film, and you know, all my films, by the way, I've done thirty of them. They've all been American films, Hollywood films. I have not done, you know, like Jackie Chan started off with the Hong Kong films, and Jet Li right. Hong Kong films. There's a lot of guys who who well, not a lot, but I mean, the ones like Tony Jaw and all the Asian guys. Unlike them, I started in American films. Yeah. And all have only done American films. Speaking of that, during that time, it was the late 80s, early 90s, a lot of kids in my generation were looking to the action films of that era for heroes. Heroes like Rocky and Jake Ray. So your films have their fans. But were you ever a fan of kung fu films yourself? Uh, you know what? No. I am not like Tarantino, you know. Uh, had loved it forever, you know. But, um, uh, of course, being a martial artist, I loved End of the Dragon. Right. Well, like Chuck's movies, or Chuck's movies in those days were Octagon, The yeah. Guys Were Black, Force of One, which was a kick. He played a kickboxing champion, so of course I'm going to love that one, right? I'm a kickboxer. <laughs> and Chuck's my, been my friend since the 70s. So I, I, I can't say uh, I, I was uh, an um, uh, educated fan, you know, like Tarantino, guys like that who know the directors and the choreographers right. and the, of the martial arts genre, but I will say I was a, at least as much of a fan as mainstream America's were, Americans were. I mean, I loved End of the Dragon, of course. That was that, that came out right when I started martial arts. You know, that came out in 73, and I started in 72. Wow. That was a um, big boost. You know, remember the Kung Fu TV? Well, I don't know, you're really young. But there was this TV series in the early 70s called uh, Kung Fu. With David Carradine. David Carradine, right. That was a big hit, and I like that. It, it, you know, it was had martial arts, but it also had the philosophical end. Right. of the martial arts, which was, um, you know, I like there would be a life lesson at the end of every episode. But it wasn't just about the punching and kicking, you know. Uh, Carradine was a monk, and he was, he was not like a big a bully going around beating people. He wasn't like a Seagal character who, uh, when he walks into a room, he punches you first and then asks you <laughs> That wasn't so much about the fighting kung fu as it was more about the philosophical and the spiritual kung fu, right? Correct, correct. It, it, it did have action in it, though. It was considered an action series, I'm sure, yep. but... but it's still, um, you know, it was something that it, uh, I think was very successful and uh, even crossed over to mainstream America. It was a hit series, so that wasn't just yeah. a martial artist watching it, right? I mean, you know, mainstream America watch it if it's going to last four years. Yeah, you know, they're actually rebooting that series with a female in the lead role. Oh, that's interesting. interesting. 
Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not shocked, though. You know, there's different times. I mean, you know, one of the big, tremendous recent history, uh, recent movie history-making events was uh, the um, Wonder Woman. Have a female, you think about it, it's a female action lead, grows those kind of numbers worldwide. Yep. It, it shows that um, the time for female action stars is definitely here. Yeah, now... In terms of films, were there actors or martial artists that you wanted to work with or maybe still want to work with? Absolutely. Chuck Norris. He's yeah. the guy. You know, if I ever... He, he's mentioned, when he first knew I was getting into the business, he said, look, if you ever have a script, you want to work together. He goes, it's all about the role in the, in the, in the script. He goes, you know that, which I do know that. And, and when I, if I had something respectable, I would definitely shoot it over to Chuck now. So far, unfortunately for me, I've never seen the script. The worthy one where Chuck would be... You know, but I, I'm thinking about it now, though. I'm thinking about maybe I'll do, do like Stallone. If Stallone was waiting around, he would have never got Rocky, right? He had to write it himself. It right. was an idea he had in a perfect role. And you know what? I think I may, you might be one of the people that stimulate me to get off my rear end and write the script that, that is right for me and Chuck. Oh, awesome. Then then I want a producer credit, all right? <laughs> okay. Well, you know, it's going to be something like The Unforgiven. Do you remember that one where the yeah, older guys yeah. come together and do something? Yep. Um, that they used to do so, so yep. Chuck and I could be like retired fighter, pro fighters and I have to come back and do one more fight or I have to get you know uh, the Bluffton thing was about his brother was killed so he had to go underground to get into that Ta Chang thing maybe because uh, I was thinking about bringing my daughter into it maybe my daughter is doing something and I have to go underground to help her or something and Chuck's my trainer Chuck you know and uh, so we can bring in the, all the things where they, they, you know, when the younger guys see the older guys get involved, there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, derogatory things said and all about. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Can, you know, these, uh, these guys who were the best guys and will, we'll, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say. Absolutely. Like, all the movie, Clint, it was Clint Eastwood and James Garner and Donald yeah. About the astronauts. Yeah. How yeah. the old astronauts came back. And the younger astronauts worked under them and how they, they and then earned the respect. They realized, oh, these old guys do know something about space. Well, even in The Unforgiven, there are certain things um, they show that they, uh, as you get older, you lose certain things, but then the wisdom that you gain kind of makes up for it. Yeah, and that's really the appeal of those movies, right? It's the old guard kind of passing the baton to the new generation, but still showing that the, just because they're older doesn't mean that they're useless. The young bucks could still learn a thing or two. We have a different perspective than the young guys, because remember, we were there at one time. I was the guy, when kickboxing started, that that was the thing that everybody, that was the blasphemy. Everybody thought that was going to be bad for martial arts and whatever, and it turned out that kickboxing did show us how to defend ourselves against real strikes and use real strikes. Now, when they added the grappling, well, then that's what Bruce Lee said. Bruce Lee said, well, you got to have everything. you got to have jiu-jitsu and aikido and everything, because somebody might grab you on the street. So you have right. to have confident strikes and grappling. And in the beginning... I think um, people thought, oh, the grappling's more better than the striking because Gracie was winning. But remember, Gracie's brother was the matchmaker back then. Big guys, that Gracie could just take the ground choke right out. <laughs> but, but when he fought Frank Shamrock, or Ken Shamrock, Ken, yep. Shamrock was a guy who could do some grappling and he could do some striking, and they fought to a draw. If you remember one of the early UFCs, I was the announcer back then. That happened, Gracie quit the UFC, and his brother left. Because they realized they saw the writing on the wall. They said, oh, gosh, eventually people are going to start beating us. So we won't be able to say Gracie Jiu-Jitsu is the best. You know, that's what they were trying to do with the UFC. Say they, but what they meant 
was uh, grappling does have value, which which every martial artist knows that. Believe me, Bill Wallace was a grappler before he was a striker. Right. He was a wrestler in college, like me. I was a wrestler in college before I ever fought kickboxing. And um, you think that any normal guy on the street, I was fourth in the state of Florida my second year in a collegiate. Do you think any normal guy could handle me on the ground just from my wrestling experience? His coach was Dan Gable. That was recognized as one of the best Olympic wrestlers in history. And Bill didn't go to karate originally. He went to judo. The only reason he quit judo was, which is a grappling kind of an art, is he hurt his knee. And then he went to karate. He could no longer do the judo. And um, wow. all real martial artists like myself and Bill Wallace and Urquidez and Joe Lewis, we, we all have grappling background because we know that's part of martial arts as well. It's sure. not that I believe is the most effective because if a 220-pound guy drunk in a bar goes to throw a punch at me, I'm not going to grab him and go to the ground. If I'm going to do something to me there, I'm going to kick and punch him and be able to get out the door. You know, it's just my preference in self-defense is to strike and be you know, prepared to leave. Yeah, 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 the smart option, right? Now, from the martial arts back to the movies for a little bit, you've also put in some time behind the camera as a producer You've got two films out now, Martial Arts Kid and Paying Mr. Morgetti with Traditions Entertainment with your brother James Wilson. What was the impetus behind that? Um, th- those, were, those were my brother's ideas and um, Michael Baumgarten, the writer, director, producer of them. I have produced, I think I, I've got credit for producing at least 16 films. But the truth okay. is, all 30 of the films I've starred in, all of them I worked, except for Blessed, the first one. I just was an actor for, I didn't know anything back then. So. Right. But all the other ones, I started, my input started going in. And at a certain point, they started giving me credit as what they call co-producer. So I would have creative controls over mutual approvals, which means I couldn't do something if the, the other producer did not like it. But he couldn't do something if I did. We had to mutually approve every creative aspect of the film. And um, I started getting that early in my career, probably in my third, fourth film, and uh, most of the 30 films I've starred in, I've, I've had producer input on all of them. But they, they don't even put it in my contract. They don't have to because if you're an investor and you're a producer and you've produced, I don't know, some action movies, maybe one or two action movies, and then you hire me to start a movie, now who's got the experience? I've done 30 movies. Let's just say I've done five fight scenes in each film. That's 150 choreographed, edited fight scenes. For me. Now, do you think that I couldn't choreograph my own fight? I mean, I don't even need a choreographer, but I work with the choreographers. I work with the directors and the camera angles and the editing. And I go in the editing room still. I've edited two of the movies myself. Two of my films. Uh, I was in the... The director didn't even edit the movies. They just left it up to me. Twice it's, it, 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 it's happened. Uh, one was uh, called Operation Cobra, I believe. I went in the editing room with that one. The director went on to another project. And then uh, Whatever It Takes. I cut that one totally by myself. The, the, I, I, basically, the director was fired off the movie. And when you do that, he's not going to come in and work on the editing room. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, got some producer credit on that from my brother Mike, but only because I kicked in a few ideas that were mine. And uh, so they gave me a credit, but, but really the, the, those movies, they're responsible for them. It's, it's not a genre I work in. If you look at my history, I, I do R-rated movies mainly, my, right. mainly violent R-rated movies. These are family films, and they're what? family films comedy. Now, my movies don't have comedy, generally. I mean, I right, do right. one whatever it takes with Andrew Dice Clay, but when you cast Andrew Dice Clay as your partner, it's going to be funny no matter what kind of movie it is. Yeah, he's just going to ad-lib stuff that's funny, and then that's what he did. And um, so that that movie, it's not a comedy. It's called Whatever It Takes, but it's a uh, it's got comedy in it because of Andrew Dice Clay. 
the martial arts kid was meant to be funny. And uh, Hey, Mr. McGetty is a... It, it's, let me see if I can get the genre right, because it's about five genres in one. Let me think. It's, it's a love story, comedy, martial art, action, buddy picture. Right, and you play an assassin, but with a code. Correct. My opening scene, I kill somebody, and, and it, 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 it's definitely a different kind of character for me. I, I mean, I've, I've never... Um, Yes, I was a bad guy in the Asian film, but I mean, you know, nobody saw that. <laughs> but um, in my career, this is—I think you can say this is the first bad guy. Yeah. Oh, well, let's, let's well, talk about that. I was a gang leader, but that wasn't really a—that's that, a cameo. Right. You know, I came right, in, right. I worked for days, and I was out of the thing. But uh, no, this is a true bad guy, and I—I I, I, basically I watched No Country for Old Men, mm-hmm. and I watched Professional, and I tried to take traits that both those because they were both hitmen, kind of quirky. Right. And uh, kind of scary but likable at the same time. And I tried to make the show to something like that. You know, he, he has his dangerous side, but also he's a guy that has a certain code. You know, he does not want to beat, beat up this guy. Cause it's not a, we're not, I'm not getting hired to kill him. Right. I'm getting hired to beat him up, you know, and, you know, like teach him a lesson. And uh, my character ends up um, not, not doing what he was supposed to do because um, Marcus was not guilty. Bishop is a bad guy. I'm not saying he's got he's redeemed because of that. You know, if you're a hitman, you're a bad guy. But <laughs> he did have a slight code, and he and if you watch the professional, I don't know if you ever saw that, but, but did, Leon, yeah. he had rules. He had no women, no children, right. and so he was a guy that um, killed people, but not innocent people. He killed other criminals. Right. And aside from being family friendly, one of the things that I appreciated about the martial arts kid was that you tried to put martial arts on screen that was accessible and also very very real it was realistic martial arts realistic training why did you choose to go that route instead of the wire foo that some of us might have been used to growing up this movie you know my brother's idea was although he loved the karate kid we all love the karate kid the karate kid does not have uh real martial arts in it really to think that somebody could be a beginner and then win a black belt tournament like a national tournament and with the technique that he wanted, I mean, the whole thing, the idea that a, an alcoholic, old martial arts guy uh, is, is a teacher, is the one you're supposed to look up to, guy who's got more psychological problems than the kid did. Um, <laughs> my brother thought we should put real stuff. So you can wax on, wax off all you want. You're never going to learn more martial arts. Those movie kind of lessons in a movie with real martial artists teaching it. I mean, we're, we're controlling the movie. We're gonna, I'm going to teach somebody to wax their car in and say, okay, now you're ready to block punches and kicks. No, what I taught was the real stuff that I teach. Same with Cynthia. She did a little teaching thing. We basically had did not see the need to Hollywoodize the martial art teaching when you have real world champion, real top competitors and uh, practitioners in your movie. Yeah. And um, I think it, it's it's a better way to do it. Look, they, Apollo Creed is fighting um, Rocky. Rocky wants footwork, so Nikki, his trainer, gets him a chicken to chase. Well, you know what? I used to have good footwork. I was bragging about my footwork. I never chased a chicken to get it. <laughs> but it looked good in the movie, though. You know, that was going to be a movie thing, you know. I guarantee you, Sugar Ray Leonard had great footwork. I bet you his trainer didn't show up with three or four chickens every day. <laughs> yeah, but they probably ate well that night. Yeah, wow. That's where the chickens would be gone. But, um, <laughs> but so anyway, that, 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 that's what that was all about. That yeah. was about we have real martial artists in control of the movie. We don't need to do fake lessons and fake Hollywood working out and techniques. We'll use, make it more realistic. 
And uh, to, to me, it was more realistic. You know, I didn't do any uh, flashy stuff as a martial artist. I used kind of stuff that actually works. And yeah. I thought my fight with TJ was relatively realistic. No. Yep, and I'll say too that uh, even when I was a kid, and, and I love the Karate Kid too, but even when I was a kid, I knew that waxing a car wasn't going to teach you Kung Fu, but that car was going to look good. Yeah, well, not only that, but um, Jackie Chan even did it in the new Karate Kid. First of all, it shouldn't been called Karate. I mean, I was in Beijing with him, and they were all pissed off because he they called it the Karate Kid, and all, all he got teaches is Kung Fu. That's what he is. He's Kung Fu. Man. Right, right. Anyway, Remember, put your jacket on, take your jacket off, put your jacket on, take your jacket off. You can yep. put your, your jacket on all you want. But if you get in a kickboxing ring with me, you're going down. <laughs> put the jacket on, take the jacket off. Take the, that, that, believe me, Jackie Chan, that's, not, that's a movie lesson. He, he himself did not have the wherewithal to say, you know what, I'm a real martial artist. Why don't we teach real martial arts in, the, in this, this um, you know, updated version of um, Christ? You know, the, I guess you call it a reboot. Right. But the reboot was just as fake. You know, the, the, the lessons were not real martial arts lessons. And you got Jackie Chan, who's a real martial artist. You know, it, it's not like um, uh, the guy that played Miyagi, great guy, by the way, a real wonderful actor. He passed away. Uh, Pat Morita. Yeah. Pat Morita, wonderful actor, but he's not a real martial artist. I'm sure he didn't have any input, but I wonder if other martial artists, if you got a guy like Bruce Lee in there to play that character. I wonder if Bruce Lee said, well, you know what, I, I don't like, uh, so, uh, well, uh, let me just show him some real stuff. I, I yeah. really believe that um, uh, what we did was, was something that came natural for real martial, lifelong martial artists. Right. I mean, not a movie martial artist, a guy who took like six weeks of lessons just to get through a movie. I mean, people that have done it for their whole lives, 20, 30, 40 years. I would have felt uncomfortable doing that. You know, okay, you've got to learn how to block, so here's what you're going to do. Go whack my car. That's the one way to get your car waxed. Exactly. But the guy's not going to be able to defend himself doing that. You can do that all day. If that works, then all these guys in LA would all be world champion boxers and kickboxers, right? Now, you mentioned Cynthia. That's Cynthia Rothrock, martial arts legend herself. Uh, How did she get involved with the martial arts kid? Um, My brother. Yeah. You know, Cynthia and I have a lot of coincidences. One of them is we study the same style of kung fu. We got our black belts in Pylon Kung Fu. So that's kind of strange because I'm from Florida and she's from Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, it, it is a small, it's an obscure style. You know, it's not like well-known. But, um, yeah, we got the same style. And when we moved out to L.A., we end up with the same agent. That's kind of strange because there's a lot of agents out here, right? I mean, we got a lot of coincidence in this But anyway, <laughs> one of them that happens to be now that my brother was looking for two celebrities and not just athletic celebrities, but ones that had done film, of course, because you're more mainstream then, and to, to promote his product, Traditions, it's not entertainment, uh, Traditions shirts, uh, uh, active wear or something, I'm trying to think of my yep. other company name, he's going to get mad at me, but, it's, <laughs> but tradition, you know, Traditions has a company that makes you know, hats and sweatshirts and all kinds of things, and anyway, he thought we would be the best people because we have the mainstream from the movies, and then of course we've got the martial artists who know us as competitors and uh, it's really worked well because uh, i think uh you know people in the fight game guys are, are buying shirts that they they like the traditional designs and things and so i'm a good endorser and she turned out to be a great endorser you know i've always wondered this because i'm not a martial artist myself but when you're around other martial artists is there ever that secret urge to kind of just throw down just to see who's better <laughs> uh, no, no not for me i mean you know, 
I, I can't speak for other people, but I <laughs> don't think they would. I, it's like this. It's like as much of a bully as you might be, and I'm, and I'm saying in his prime, when he was 22 years old, knocking guys out, would you want to pick on Mike Tyson if you saw him in a bar? I uh, know. Why? I, even though he's not a martial artist, I mean, he punches pretty hard. <laughs> And with me, I think my reputation is I'm not just an actor. I think my reputation is I won 11 world titles as a kickboxer. So yep. the average guy who studies some martial arts and thinks he's kind of tough and he's won a couple of tournaments, he knows better than to do that. <laughs> you know, It just doesn't happen. It's never happened. Somebody said, oh, you think you're a good martial artist. But listen, if I had not won 11 world titles, and you could not go to YouTube and just watch me knocking somebody out, it might happen. You know, if I just see some guy who has black belt somewhere. I mean, other black belts might want to try you out, right? I mean, right, right. Might be uh, semi-pro fighters, or they might have had a couple of pro bouts, or actually any really good fighter, the better the fighter, the more likely they are to be educated enough not to, you know, want to challenge me. But I've done exhibitions around the world, you know, and all the other champions said they quit doing it because so many guys try to knock them out. It only happened to me one time. I was in uh, Switzerland, and I'm doing an exhibition. The first round, the guy shows up with 10-ounce gloves, throwing bombs at me. Now, I wear, I've got 18-ounce clubs on, and I said, okay. The second round, I said, I'm going to throw a hard punch. So I throw an uppercut just to get the guy's head up, right? If the head pops up, I throw a left hook and knock him out. So uh, you can't brag about the, the better the fighter, the less likely they would try something like that. It takes a really inexperienced, dumb, bad fighter to try to knock out a, a world champion. Even in an exhibition, look, 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 I like going 12 rounds. Yeah, if you would make me go 12 rounds, I'm not going to be able to make it. I'm 63 years old. But in one or two rounds, I'm at least as dangerous as I used to be. Sure. Even at my age, for two or three rounds, I can chunk some big bombs in there. <laughs> yeah, second round. You know, it's on YouTube. You can see, I don't know what it says about it. I don't know if it's a three-round exhibition. I, don't know. I can't remember the guy's name, but somebody posted the actual video some home video of me knocking a guy out. It's in an exhibition. But, uh, but anyway, I don't do that anymore. You know, uh, nobody tries to take advantage of me. And I, 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 anybody who wants to have an exhibition with the dragon, don't worry, I'm not gonna knock you out. <laughs> All right, let's step away from kickboxing and movies for just a little bit. You're going to be stepping off the silver screen and into the four-color printed page, doing what few martial arts actors have done. And you're going to be a comic book action hero. How did that come about? Well, I, I don't know if I'm going to be a hero, but I, I'm going to be a Buddhist monk in a um, comic book uh, movie. The name of the comic book is Justice Angel. It's in New York City. It says New York. Now, I don't know if they're shoot the movie there, but the movie does. It. It's actually the star. The angel is a young girl. I would compare it to Batman. You know, because Batman is a boy. His family gets killed, and he trains. He comes back, and he gets bad guys, right? Well, the same right. thing happens to this young girl. Her parents are killed. They sent her off to be trained by a Buddhist monk. That would be me. And then she right. comes back, and instead of being just getting revenge against the people that killed her parents, uh, she just becomes like a crime fighter. It's, it's against all crimes. Like Batman. Batman is no longer just a guy going after the whoever killed his parents, right? I mean, he's just fighting crime. Right. And just Angel is a female version. And like, just like you and I were speaking, it might actually go over pretty good because today is the day when you can have movies like Wonder Woman. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good for a comic book like this. It's, it's, I was at the, uh, I've never gone to Comic-Con, but I went to the New York one this year to promote the uh, movie. I was shocked at how many people already knew this comic book because, you know, I, I, 
I don't read comic books, but uh, you know, the, the comic fans were there, and then people were buying it. And when they heard it was going to be a movie, of course, uh, they all want the first issue because the last <laughs> the Spider-Man issue went for three million. You never know. You never know when something's going to take off. So yeah, that's great. So the film is that actually in motion right now, as in pre-production? A Justice Angel schedule updates November twenty-seventh to February third. So that'd be around the shooting time. Wow, that's fantastic. Listen, I'm not smart, so it's not like the old days. Listen, if somebody gives me a schedule like that, I work every single day of a shoot. But when right. you play a character that's kind of in and out, that it's so much easier than having to wait for the <laughs> I just come in. Now, I do have to do one thing. I'm playing a Buddhist monk, and I just don't see any way I can play it with a head of hair. <laughs> I mean, think about it. It just goes again. If I... And I've talked to my brother, and I've talked to my... If you accept this role, I've got to be... Look, everybody else will shave their head. Matt Dangle will shave his head. Um, uh, any other character will do it. Real actors, right? They do it all the time. So I, I've never done it, though. You've never seen the dragon with a big bald head. <laughs> this may be the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life, but I, I can get away from it. Now, people say, well, bald cap, but here's the thing. This is an action film. I'm not going to be sitting at a desk talking. I'm going to be throwing punches and kicks. It's an action movie, and I'm the teacher, and uh, I want to be able to do action, and I don't see the boss camp working. Maybe if you were at a $100 million budget and you could just change him like the, you know. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be a great look for you. Well, you know what? There's some guys like Yul Brenner and David Carradine. They shaved their heads. They never went back. Can you well, think of uh, David Carradine? Well, you know, he did have some hair at one point. I guess he got sick of the thing, you know, in the Kung Fu series. But I don't know. After that, he just kept that hair shaved. Yep, yep, yep. Same yep. with Yul Brenner. I don't remember Yul Brenner with long hair after he played. Yeah, the king. I'm not going to be bad. When this thing's over, it's over. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to that. Now, what is next then for Don the Dragon Wilson? What do you have going on? What else is coming down the pipeline? My, my big movie that I, and I, you know what, I've, I've had, gosh, you know, at least three solid offers to produce it, but not at the budget I want to do this movie. But I'm doing my own version. I'm doing like Stallone did. Stallone wanted to reinvent the action genre in a way to utilize all the old action stars, because if he appeared by himself, it would not cross $100 million. If Stallone, or if Schwarzenegger wouldn't cross 100 Bruce Willis, Harrison Ford... None of them on their own recently have hit the $100 million, which is considered the blockbuster. You know, that's the mark you've got to hit. Otherwise, you don't justify, you know, the budgets. Well, so he says, you know, I'm going to do one where they're all in it, but they all don't have to work, you know, two months, three months in it. They, they can do one or two scenes and they're gone. Just North for four days. He did two scenes and he was gone. Well, <laughs> the, the Expendables, you know, the, the, that formula, I'm doing it with the B-movie guys. I'm going to have nice. all in this movie. But not working from day one to day. It's an 18-day shoot. I'm planning on it. One location like Die Hard. And um, uh, it's basically a cop actioner slash vampire movie. Wow. Um, yeah, and it's going to have all the B-movie guys in it. I'm gonna, even if they can only work one day, they work one day and they're gone. You know? But you'll be able to see them all in one movie, though, which is nobody's ever done it. And it worked for Stallone. And I honestly believe it's going to work for the B-movie genre. I believe People do remember Michael Dudikoff and Billy Blanks and Cynthia Richard Norton and Don Wilson. Uh, I just saw Gary Daniels the other night at um, 
uh, two nights ago at the Asian Film Festival here in Hollywood. And uh, I asked, I said, hey, man, would you just come in and just do a cameo? He goes, absolutely. He goes, just call me if, I, if I'm in town. Absolutely. So, yeah, everybody wants to do it because, look, they're all looking at the success of The Expendables. And, yep. and if we get that kind of success, uh, it's going to be a great thing for me and a great thing for them. Now, if that happens, I should say it's going to happen, but when that happens, it's going to reinvent the genre for, for all of us because it's going to bring us all back. We're going to have some young cadets also. Uh, I've already got, I don't want to use their names because we're not contractual, but I've got verbal okays on TV actors that have started their own series. In fact, the series went four years, it just ended. And uh, they're young, they're 20-somethings. So I'm going to have young cadets that are not actual soldiers yet, and a few of them are going to be in the movie. And um, so we'll have the young guard there, and then we'll have the old guys that you saw in the 80s and 90s, and if they're going to have vampires, and it's, it, it's one location shoot, otherwise I couldn't do it, because as soon as you show up every day, you turn the cameras on. But when you've got to take the whole thing and move it all over L.A., you're losing time. In other words, you're not shooting the film, but you're losing time. And, uh, yeah, this is meant to be, uh, there's a bank robbery in progress, or somebody's being robbed. It might be a jewelry store, I can't remember right now, but the SWAT unit chases them into a building. When they get in the building, there's a den of vampires, and the, the bank robbers and the cops join forces to fight the vampires. So that in sounds- a way, it's got the formula of uh, a movie Tarantino wrote called Dust to Dawn. You know, it's a normal movie up until the very last scene. Right. And I don't know if you ever saw it, but it's like about, it's, I think it was about a bank robbery. Him and George Clooney robbed a bank, I think. That's Harvey Keitel or something. But anyway, yep. they they actually have um, a normal movie until the last scene, and then there's a bunch of vampires, and they have to fight <laughs> Similar. This is going to be a normal movie with no, no supernatural uh, weirdness until the very last scene when they go into a building, and then these cops start disappearing, and the bank robbers start disappearing. Nobody can figure out who's killing who, and then they realize... There's something going on, you know. And like what, one of the cops gets killed, he said, listen, bank robbers don't drain blood out of people. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, you're right. Something else is going on here. And they start to figure it out. Like, you remember the movie Predator where Schwarzenegger was in the jungle and they see a guy and he goes, hey, you know, uh, this guy got skinned alive. He goes, uh, terrorist gorillas don't skin people alive. Yeah, right. <laughs> going on, yeah. Then, uh, well, that's when he formed the perimeter and they decided they were going to stop moving because they were getting picked off one at a time. And they were right. out there and have like a like a battle, and um, so this is similar to that. The, the vampires basically there's an earthquake at the beginning of the movie, and they 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 are trapped underground, so they come out starving, but barely alive. But they you know they don't die, so they just survive for like 150 years underground. They come out, they feed on these homeless people, but then they they have to rest, so they go into a building. But that building happens to be the one the bank robbers and the cops run into. I've got the script. It's written by a very uh, talented TV producer, but he wanted to do an action film. He wrote the script for me, and it's got heart. It's got all the elements I want. Now Now I just got to get, get the right amount of funding. Man, that sounds fantastic, and I wish you the best of luck. Now, for my audience, where can they go to find out more about you? Don Wilson on Facebook. Now, there's some Don the Dragon Wilsons, but those aren't on me. Those are just fan sites. But I, I, I'm on Facebook, Don Wilson. It's got my face. You can see me. The picture on it is I've been using it with me talking in the microphone at the Burbank Film Festival. So they just recognize me, and they can be followers. You know, I got the first 5,000 people, like, in a month. So I, I can't take more friends on, but just, just followers are the same thing. And what about Traditions Activewear? Well, Traditions is online. You can just, uh, you know, Google Traditions. Uh, I, I believe it's traditions.net, and it's uh, spelled with a Z, of course, Traditions. 
like the word tradition with a Z in right. the end, not an S. And that's the company name. And um, yeah, they, they they can check out their clothing line there. And uh, Traditions Entertainment is online as well. You can awesome. Traditions Entertainment. And uh, yeah, check out Paying Mr. McGetty, the latest film, and uh, The Martial Arts Kid, of course, you know, which is being sold right now. You can see it offered on Amazon or everywhere. They digitally download it if they want to watch it a few times, and if they want to own the DVD, they can order it. Very cool. Very cool. Don, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us on the show. It has been an absolute honor having you here. Uh, you were one of my icons growing up. So thank you so much for taking some time out to talk with the Kung Fu Driving Podcast. And best of luck with everything in the future. Hey, I, I, I love it and I appreciate it. Thanks. Many thanks to Don the Dragon Wilson for chatting with me. What a cool guy with so many cool stories. And I'm hoping he'll get to tell some more of his stories on the big screen. Thanks, too, to James Wilson and Dragon Traditions Activewear for setting up that interview. Check out their site at traditions.co. That's traditions with a Z for some cool gear. I'm going to go grab a few shirts myself. I'll leave some links in the show notes to that page as well as Don's Facebook page and links for more info on the martial arts kit and paying Mr. McGetty. And if you want to check out Don's character in the comic book Justice Angel, that link will be there for you as well. Now, if you liked hearing from Don, give me a shout out on all the social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or just email me, kungfudriving at gmail.com. That's going to wrap it up for this special episode. So, until next time, Poison Clan, peace. Poison Clan rocks the world. Shouting monks on the hands, running down the thousand stairs. The fate of Lee Khan now's in King Yu's hands. With the fearless Aida roaming over the lands. Yeah, the little big soldier is older and wiser. He wants a world of peace because he doesn't want to fight. Yo, got the venom mob laying down the law. Bruce Lee delivered kicks, guaranteed to great jars. Fight for the cars, then pass here. The pass, not the end back kicks will defeat the outlaws. Very good, but boards don't hit back. Yeah, the death jewels here, David D is coming back. The Tai Chi master, Jet Li's even faster. Could chat a little drink because he is the drunken master. Once upon a time in China, Rosamund Kwan is real fine, but see Maggie Chung is finer. Golden Swallow has arrived. Shang Chi movies will the hero will survive. We've got the brave archer make his way to the top of the mountain, gonna fight, may as well pick the spot. Yeah, the sky goes black, cut the vampires back. We've got Lam Ching Ying to kill them all to so stand back. He plays the black magic on the soul of the sword, and our sword will travel until his body's on floors. Yeah, Wing Chun Shaolin and Manti style. Yeah, the Feed the enemy and watch him run for miles Blood will spill now on the mountain tops When we bring back the soul of the legendary pops Walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war We smash the place up with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! 
this time it's war We smash the place up with a dragon claw See it's a game of death yo, you're facing the big boss It's once upon a time and trying to count on the TikTok The Shogun assassin slashing blood of just drip drop The head kick, neck drop, balance the bone stop Wanna kill Bill, better get the assassins He's got Irma just in yellow but she is in the dragon But in the tea rooms, that's where it'll happen She got the bodies on the floor and the blood it'll splatter against the wall No fear at all, to kill them all There's always blood spilled when you head into a war Fearless, unleashed The fist of legend that the car gently I'm Bolo Young, yo, I'll always be a beast You rumble in the Bronx, yo, I'm rumble in the streets And it's simple, see the facts are these It's only ever gonna be one Bruce Lee Welcome to the tea house, men for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha, this time it's war To smash the place so with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, men for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting